today on the Scott Thompson Show on 900 CHML. Scott Radley in for Scott Thompson on the Scott Thompson Show today here on 900 CHML. And what probably is the craziest story of the day, I'm not making this up, I swear to you this is all true, the flying car has arrived. It really has. Uh, in Slovakia the other day, a car that can transform itself into a plane, like a transformer. If you watch it, it looks like a real-life transformer changed into a plane, did a 35-minute flight from one town to the next after taking off, landing, all went perfectly well. Um, and it, it looked incredibly cool. It's a prototype vehicle, did the trip in less than half the time a regular car on the roads would take. That's enticing already. Uh, and as I say, then it just folded up and drove away. And here is the, if that's the headline, and I think it is, here's the subhead on it. Here's the secondary headline. Hyundai's Europe chief, the guy who runs that car manufacturer in Europe, says this will be a reality not just for one person with a prototype, these things will exist, I guess, commonly or somewhat commonly by 2030. Huh. Huh. Is that a good thing? Well, let's talk about that. Keith McKay is the owner of McKay International uh, and he is an aviation expert. He joins us now. Keith, thanks for doing this today. Good afternoon, Scott. Thank you. We all want that guy's prediction to be true, don't we? We all want to believe that by 2030, we're going to be buzzing around in flying cars, don't we? Well, I wouldn't make any bets on it. I don't think that that's going to happen. <laughs> There's a lot of problems to solve here. Oh, I, I think so. I think so. And before we get into those, um, the idea, though, of a flying car, I mean, that has been... That has kind of been the image of the future since forever. That's always been the picture of what the future is going to be. It, it seems like if this were to happen, it would signify that the future has arrived somehow. Well, actually, uh, back right after World War II, they were saying the same thing. And there was a flying car then. And it flew and did everything that this car will do. It just wasn't very successful economically. They only built a couple of them, and now they're prize collector's items. There's been a number of flying cars built over the years, but the problem is they're neither good airplanes nor good cars. They're just sort of a compromise. <laughs> so I well, think it's going to take additional technology before we uh, really make this project uh, viable. Does that speak to how complex building something like this properly is? Well, the car that you're discussing now, if you look at it, it looks uh, very impressive. But it's got a lot of weight on it. The wings have to fold. There's motors in there to make it fold. It has uh, roadworthy, uh, there's automobile-type wheels and tires on it, which are heavy. It has one power plant to power the propeller when it's flying and another power plant to drive the, uh, the wheels, of course, on the highway. So it's a very complex uh, machine. And if you looked at the performance specs, I don't think you'd want one. Uh, there's been another one that was just about to go into production within the last year, and they scrapped the project. In fact, Uber has been uh, planning and building uh, flying cars, if you will. They were kind of quadcopters, but it was still the same concept. And I think just within the last couple of days, they've abandoned that project and sold it to someone else. So I don't really think that we're going to be flying around in these cars by the end of the decade. 
Well, the other th- one of the other things that as you watch the video, and I, I watched the video of this guy taking off and landing, and they had a camera in the cockpit or the driver's area, whatever you want to call it, considering it could be either one. And it looked, I mean, it just looked entirely simple, like he was just driving a car. But I have to believe that if you're going to start including the flying part, it's going to be an awful lot more complicated than just steering your car down a road. You're going to have to probably be as qualified as a pilot to do that. Well, you would have to be a pilot. You'd have to be certified as a pilot. And the aircraft slash vehicle would have to have all the electronics, the avionics, as we call them, installed in order to be able to fly it. You'd need navigational equipment. You'd need uh, uh, a lot of the new technology that's coming out now would probably be incorporated in it. But you'd have to be a qualified pilot. You'd have to be aware of weather. Uh, air traffic, separation from other aircraft. So if there were just a few of these things flying, it'd be relatively simple. But if everyone had one, the complexity of just not bumping into each other would be an amazing feat. So there'd have to be a lot of new regulations and a lot of new procedures in order to avoid collisions and things that would otherwise happen. You'd have to have tests that people would have to pass. It'd be a very complicated uh, procedure to get one of these things going in a practical sense. Keith, could you make it easier? I mean, could it be made? Could we make a flying car so logical and, and user friendly that you wouldn't have to have all those complications? Or is that just the reality of putting anything up in the sky? Well, I think if anything happens along these lines, that's the way it's going to be. And I think what we're going to see is what's now a, uh, sort of a drone or a quadcopter, you see the small ones all the time, build a larger one of those. The only trouble is that it's got four electric motors in it, and if one of them fails, the thing's going to roll over and crash. So you've mm. got to put uh, two motors on each of the uh, uh, pontoons or the, uh, the booms that hold the motors with one propeller on the top and one on the bottom, and if one would fail, the other one would allow it to continue in flight. And it would have to be entirely autonomous. Uh, the pilot, if you will, wouldn't actually be a pilot. He'd just tell it where to go, and it would, by GPS, be able to navigate there. And the separation would be maintained uh, between the machines. So I think if we ever actually see something becoming practical, it's going to have to be along these lines. But even that, what do we do when the weather's bad? How do we avoid mm-hmm. thunderstorms? Uh, where do we uh, park them? If we land on a roof somewhere, how many <laughs> will the roof hold when you try to park them? Yeah. How do you move them from the landing area to the parking area? So there's a lot of complications that are really uh, rather simple, but still are made to be solved. Well, let's go to a few of the very biggest ones, and you've touched on one already, and that is this. Um we have all experienced the fact that there are some terrible, terrible drivers on land already. Uh, they can do pretty significant damage just with their wheels on the ground. Now you put them in the sky, it's it's got the potential to be a bit of a nightmare. Well, exactly. That's why I think they'll have to be autonomous to be able to uh, eliminate people actually flying them, particularly those who may not be uh, highly skilled or know what they're doing. So we've got to put some sort of a barrier in there to prevent this from happening. Uh, Even things like self-driving cars have never come to fruition. I mean, they're partially there, but uh, certainly they're not anywhere near the point where uh, they're practical or able to be used. 
There is also the issue that, uh, you know, cars do stall on the highway or break down or run out of gas or whatever else. And, you know, if you're on the road, it's a pain in the butt, but you can pull yourself off to the side and wait for help to come. If you are 5,000 feet in the air and you run out of gas or have an engine problem or a stall, it's an entirely different problem. It certainly is, particularly, I believe these things will have to be electric, and they'll have to be the, the four motors, as we just described, to be able to make the thing fly. And it's controlled by changing the pitch of the propellers in whatever sequence is needed to conduct the maneuver that you're trying to do. But this would all be autonomous. In other words, you say, I want to go from point A to point B. You take me off, get me there, and land. And then when you shut down, I'm able to get out again. So we'd have to do something like that, I think, and it'd have to be electric and not uh, fuel-powered. But then again, what happens if you have an emergency in flight? How does the machine react to the emergency? This is all going to have to be pre-programmed, and it's hard to pre-program all emergencies. So it's, it's a lot more complicated than it first sounds on the surface. Yeah, I, I, the, the, the picture of um, these cars occasionally just falling out of the sky and landing on a home is, is not, you know, it's, we laugh and we're not laughing at it. It's just that it's, it's, there, there are many, so many possibilities of horrible things that all these things would have to be sorted out because you can't be having that. And the amount of rules and regulations, I mean, I, I assume that you're a pilot or certainly you know all these rules and regulations. The, the amount that pilots have to pass and deal with stuff, even to have an autonomous vehicle, if you're going to be up there flying by yourself for emergency procedures and everything else, like it, it's not going to be, I would think, just buy a car and away you go. No, I think if these things ever reach the point where they're practical at all, they'll first start transporting cargo, which is in the plans now to be able to have Amazon and other companies deliver packages. But there again, this, this has been in process for a long time. And uh, the last package I got from Amazon certainly wasn't delivered by a quadcopter. <laughs> That's true. Not yet. Not yet. So if, though, this was developed and made available, if, if, if private companies, Hyundai, as I say, the European chief of Hyundai has talked about this, if, if companies came up with this, car manufacturers or whomever came up with this, and there was demand for this, do you think governments would stand in the way or would they just have to be getting on board and figuring out what the rules are well in the u.s and i believe in canada as well uh, the faa here is making plans to do this they're setting up protocols and they even go back to those who are flying the models the drones if you will there's now certification requirements if you're going to do it for commercial purposes and even if you're going to do it privately you have to pass some knowledge tests so you know what's legal and what isn't legal to do. So the uh, autonomous vehicles are falling under the, uh, the regulatory arm of the FAA, and eventually it'll get uh, a little tougher and tougher and before these things actually become really practical to use. So I think they're going to have to gain some more experience with delivering packages and uh, First time I see one land on my front lawn, I'll be a lot more convinced than I am now. <laughs> there you go. I mean, do you think, though, that there would be a market? If some car manufacturer came out with this and said, hey, by 2030, you will be able to buy your own flying car and you know what, we can make it so that you could use it. And, and I mean, I'm putting a lot of hypotheticals in here, but if this came out, do you think there would be a big market for something like this? 
well, there's a potential market for it, but there again, now you're stepping into the regulatory area. What qualifications are you going to need to fly the thing? How do you fly it when the weather's bad? How do you recognize whether or you're not supposed to fly? How do you separate yourself from other traffic, particularly around the major airport where there's uh, airliners taking off and landing? Uh, there's going to be a, a lot of uh, responsibility placed on the pilots of these things, or if they're autonomous, the construction of routes that they can follow and separating them from uh, other air traffic. And this is going to be uh, a limitation. If that's the case, then you won't be able to go every place you want to go. The places will be limited. And there'll be, I think, uh, a lot of limitations, particularly in the beginning. Now, let's just say these things are extremely popular and they're cheap and everybody buys one like a car. Now, if you've got thousands of these things flying around, separating one from another becomes a critical thing. No question. land on a roof of a tall building. It, it, there, there are a million questions. It's, it's a really interesting thing that this guy has done, but you're right. It has opened up a, a, for the one thing that he answered by saying, yes, we can do this. There's about 12 million questions now to be answered before anyone else does. Keith Mackey, owner of Mackey International, really appreciate the time today. Thank you for doing this. Take care, Scott. Bye-bye. It, it is such a, a I, I believe that if they could make these things, make a, a flying car that was somehow usable to even a remotely average person. This would be the ultimate status symbol of all status symbols, wouldn't it be? Forget the forget the glitzy car, the sports car, the whatever. If you could have the flying car that could get you up to the cottage in an hour. Think, think about it now. You've not only got the flying car, but we can throw pontoons on it so you could land at your cottage. Just drive your car you take off on the 401, you get up enough speed to take, I mean, look, this is all wild, but I'm looking at this video and the whole thing is wild. Believe me. I mean, I'm throwing these crazy ideas out there. I recognize, but you watch the video of this flying car and you go, okay, how crazy is it really? So you're driving on the 401, you get airborne, you know, just hang a left and you go up to cottage country. You're there in an hour, you land on your pontoon somehow. I mean, it, it the ultimate status symbol, but as Keith said, and as we will, who's back at the home office, we were chatting briefly about this as we were coming into this segment. Here's the, he, 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 Keith mentioned this. Could you imagine you suddenly have thousands of people with these things if they were at low cost enough buzzing around over your head, over the city. And one of them runs out of gas or one of them is a lousy driver or one of them is, has a, a computer glitch or something else. It's one thing to have a, a stalled car on the side of the road that causes bumper to bumper traffic for miles and miles. It's another to have something come crashing down onto the roof of a house because it lost power. And now not only is the person in there possibly badly injured or worse, but the people in the house, I mean, it's a, there's a, it's a lovely thing to contemplate and to think about and to imagine. And you watch this movie and this video, I mean, and, and you look and you go, boy, that would be fun. Boy, that would be fun. And then you come to the conclusion, you start to think about it a little more and you think, yeah, it would be really fun. And how many complete and utter morons do I know? Do each of us know? And you think, Okay, if they get into that, I know how bad they are as a driver. You give them a flying car? Are you out of your mind? I mean, I could be responsible. You're probably saying, well, I'd be responsible. Sure. But Bob, the guy you know, 
who is the world's worst driver. You want Bob flying around in a, in a flying car over your neighborhood? <laughs> I, I do not think so. Fun to think about though. Here's the other question. Here's the other question. If this were to happen, if the guy from Hyundai is right, and by 2030, this is going to be not commonplace, but not wildly out there as far as unique, it's going to be more common. What becomes our new symbol of the future? Because flying cars has always been the symbol of the future. Every picture you've ever seen that shows the future has flying cars in it. When flying cars are solved, what's our new vision of the future? Teleportation? I don't know, something else? Not nearly as cool to look at. You can't make a picture as well as that, but that's our next question. When we solve the flying car conundrum, what is the future? Maybe that should be a requirement of the people who make the flying cars to give us something now to look forward to. Hmm. Let's take a break. Back after this. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. I want to bring in our good friend, your good friend, guy you probably watch, I hope, every evening at 6 o'clock or 6.30 or thereabouts on CHCH, Bubba O'Neill. So before we get into what I want to talk about, not everybody has, everybody I think knows what you went through a few weeks ago. Um, not everyone has heard you talking about it, and I don't want to get into it all a lot, but you had COVID and you had it hard. Um, a few weeks later, any lingering residue from that, or are you back to 100%? I mean, there's obviously a lot of outpatient stuff and, uh, um, you know, uh, medication and that kind of stuff that's got to follow. And, uh, in the meantime, but I mean, in terms of my energy level and ability to, to, to work and, um, and more importantly, be safe, um, around people for, you know, for the good of myself and for the good of others, I'm, uh, over a hundred percent. Excellent. Excellent. Well, that was, uh, everybody got a good scare with that one. And we're glad you're, uh, we're glad you're better. And we're glad you're able to come on today. And, you know, I, I said before the break that um, the opening ceremonies of the Olympics are on July 23, and all the athletes have to come in and quarantine before then. And so that means that in the next day, two, three, certainly by the weekend, this weekend, pretty much every athlete who's competing, at least at the beginning, who any athlete who's going to be there for the opening ceremonies, let's put it, will have headed over to Japan already. We are very, very close to the opening of the Olympics. And you know what, Bubba? I don't know about you. I'm excited about it, but I hear very little buzz right now. And I'm wondering if that's normal and I'm just forgetting what it's like all the time, or if just the fact that it's been pushed off for a year and we haven't heard a lot because there's been all kinds of weirdness. Is it a weird time for the Olympics? Do you think we're looking at this differently now? Um, great question, Scott. But, you know, I think it's a personal thing, obviously. I think they're Obviously, if you're connected to the games or you have family members that are involved in the games, you're going to have to have a, an element of excitement. But I th- I would say the overall general feeling is um, is one of mixed, I would even go as far as controversy, uh, in the sense that you're talking about a country where over 70% of the population don't want the games um, for reasons of economics. Now, that always comes with reason of economics and how much we're spending – that comes up in every single city, um, including Vancouver, when we host the Winter Games. Uh, Absolutely. Back. But I think the coronavirus, the COVID-19 situation has been so dominant worldwide. Um, and it's not over there in that country. Now, the, 
IOC and the organizing committee have taken steps to make athletes, they say it, it'll be the safest place in the world for broadcasters and those, you know, so I think that element goes on. And I think that adds to the taking away of the excitement. I think I'll also add the element of the fact that, and we're experiencing this in many of our major league sports, especially here in Canada, that, I mean, you're talking about venues that can hold up to 50 and 60,000 people that could be almost empty. Yeah. Um, you know, you talked about the parading of the athletes when they come out. I'm still not sure on this, Scott. Maybe you might be able to tell me, uh, but I've, you know, been trying to do as much research as I can, and there's such vagueness in this, in this all. When, these, when, the, when the, what, 300 com- uh, countries come out with their athletes, will there be anyone there uh, applauding them? See, you know what's interesting? I don't even know if the athletes are going to come out like they did once upon a time because of all the distancing and everything else. Like, I don't know what the opening ceremonies is going to look like. I don't think there's going to be many people there. And even if there are, there was a story a couple of weeks ago that said any fan, and remember, they're all going to be domestic fans. They're all not tourists, Japanese people. Some of them will be able to get tickets if they live there. But they're not supposed to be screaming or yelling or verbally because you could spray you know droplets or whatever so it's going to be like watching the masters golf tournament when someone's teeing off as they're running the 100 meters it's going to be weird i mean and the masters can get wild every once in a while with someone yelling mashed potatoes hey so like i mean so you are is this is every event going to have a polite applause as if you're at the ballet like i mean that just doesn't cut it for me, and that just again takes away some of the excitement for me. Um, and hey, and the Olympics—you know—you always get these sweet stories and stories of comebacks, stories of you know athletes coming from very little, or you know, uh, qualifying late, or someone who's very young or very old. You get these amazing stories, and I and I think that we as sportscasters are going to have to really lean on that because. I just see that there's so many angles that have been taken away because of, of this, of the coronavirus, because of the situation, and, you know, because of where, and let's be honest, too, here's another element that we have to put forth, is the time change yep. of where these games yep. are going to be going online. You know what we're going to miss out if they don't have the Parade of Nations, though, Bubba? We're going to miss up the greased-up guy from Tonga. <laughs> <laughs> Who's you know, been at the last few Olympics walking around all slicked down with baby oil all over him so he glistened as he walked in? And apparently <laughs> is Canadians coming out in jean suits or something, like jean pants and jean jackets? Yes, we're looking like Corey Hart in 1983. Without the sunglasses. Well, okay. you know, it's not it's not nighttime there. It's not dark, so you can't wear your sunglasses. Um, <laughs> but no, it's I, I look at this and I think it, it's going to be weird to watch. It's going to be exceedingly weird if someone does something amazing, which, you know, every Olympics has those unbelievable moments, as you mentioned. I mean, there's always something. I mean, think of the one that comes to mind from the most recent Summer Olympics was, um, and it's unfortunate that I, I, I partially remember this because of the call that got wrong, but the Michael Phelps swim that he ended up winning by one one hundredth of a second. And I'm thinking, could you imagine sitting in the pool as a fan and seeing him closing and closing and closing and on to his record gold medal number and you can't make a sound or you're going to get tossed out of the arena? Like, that's, that's impossible. 
Well, I mean, and what's the word we always talk about when we talk about the Olympics? I feel like the word spirit comes up. And I just don't know, we as fans and viewers, how much spirit we can have for these games while they're so... I mean, everything, we've had to adjust for a lot of things. Let's be honest. The Blue Jays haven't played a home game in two years. Like, there's a lot of adjustment as sports fans we have to go through. But this granddaddy of events just seems to be too different to me, personally. I'm speaking personally. Uh, you know, and I'm, I'm going to watch, you know, of course. But it, there's just a dampening of all of it for me. And it is important to remember, and you mentioned Vancouver a few seconds ago, it's important to remember that we look back at Vancouver now as, I think for Canadians, we probably see Vancouver as the greatest Olympics ever. We, as Canadian athletes, our Canadian athletes had their best medal haul. Everything went right. We won the gold medal in men's hockey, women's hockey, Andre Bilodeau, and all, all that stuff. But in the weeks leading up to that, even with the torch relay and everything else, there was a there were a lot of people in this country who were pretty dampened. Their enthusiasm was pretty down on Vancouver and what it was going to be like. It's after that we remember it as being fantastic. So maybe maybe a month from now we're going to look and go, wow, Japan was phenomenal. Can't believe that that was as good as it was. Maybe that's what's going to happen. Maybe that always happens. Well, I, I would agree with you to some extent, and you're right. Every, I mean. Uh, Greece. I mean, there was, you know, are, are these you know, buildings going to be done in time? We saw the same thing in Russia. Uh, you know, there was a lot. There's always this lead up of will this happen? As you said, in Vancouver, we didn't even know if the ski jumps were going to have enough snow. Right? There was always these questions. But I, this is to me a little bit. You're talking about venues. You're talking about how much money is being spent. This is different. This is a worldwide pandemic where. Millions of people, you know, are no longer with us, have died. So to me, I think there's a little slight difference here, too, that I think. And there's ongoing safety of the athletes. Um, there are going to be situations, and I'm sure that they've made rulings behind the scenes that we're going to probably find out about, because generally a lot of these games are, you know, drugs, this person tested positive for steroids and drugs. Well, what about the people that are, you know, maybe qualify for a final and all of a sudden then the next, the day before the event, the final event, they test positive for COVID. Yeah. You know, there's just a whole layer of, of that coronavirus has been, has added, will add to these games that we haven't experienced. And I just don't know how the rest of the world is going to react to it. You're a TV guy. So put on your TV production hat for a second. Um, if you can't have many fans in the stands and you can't have noise in the stands really, except for clapping, if you were doing TV production, would you pump in noise to try and give it some atmosphere? Or when we've seen that in the past, as have you looked at with the NHL, for example, and said, no, that looks ridiculous. It looks phony. There's nobody there. Is it a, is it noise at any cost or do you just go with what's natural? If I was producing, you know, if I was sitting in the chair for these events, I think you have to. Some of these venues are far too big. And I'm not maybe, you know, when you're out doing biathlon or any of these different types of events that maybe you're not in our stadiums, but all the track events to me, I think there has to be some type of what we call natural sound on that would be somewhat affected. Um, I, I just think, again, if there's no one allowed in these buildings, um, I just think it's going to be, it just, it, it'll feel empty um i think 
it was different maybe for basketball or hockey because you could hear the the teams you know yelling at each other or you could hear the squeaking of the uh, of the sneakers the the ice skates you know there's some noise that comes from that as i said natural sound but i feel like it's got to have something behind it Scott, like some type of crowd noise and i think we've learned a lot through the last year or two in terms of the business on how to make it sound how do i say this not as fake I'm I'm going to be fascinated to see what the broadcasters, if if they come up with any new ideas, any any advancements or or changes, understanding that hey, there was a chance that this might be the case. So let's adapt. Let's put some wrinkle in here that that maybe makes you forget. And like one of the ones, Bubba, that I have I have wanted this idea forever. And I, maybe this is the time, if you can't have fans, you do something else. For the longest time, I've said, look, when Usain Bolt runs against Andre DeGrasse and all the other guys, we have no concept of how fast they're moving because they're all moving so bloody fast, we can't really tell. They're just fast guys. When Michael Phelps swims, we can't really have a context of how fast he's swimming because it, they're all good. Every event, you need to record beforehand a Joe Blow, just an average athlete doing the same event and then so either before or during or whatever you could overlay it and show what an average person would do see i look at and that's one idea but i look at this as if you're nbc or you're the broadcaster there are a million options you might have this year because it's so different you have a million possibilities to try something new i I just wonder if they would ever do that anything any new idea well to your to to what you're speaking about the first thing I think that would be very easily done. I think you almost have an element of that that they do already. Because I think when they show, when they're generally, generally, uh, and I'm talking about NBC or CBC or Sportsnet or TSN, when they hold these events, when they're doing speed events, such as speed skating or swimming or uh, cycling or, you know, that kind of stuff, you can show a ghosting, a, a yeah. ghosting yeah. Of, of, of other, you know, what other athletes have done compared to, or even your own, you know, individual time. So you can show up what we call ghosting in the business. So you could use your average Joe, if that's what, you know, in your verbiage, therefore, uh, for comparison to show, you know, the, the amazing speed of some of these athletes and, you know, really how good they are. So that, that's easily accomplished. But um, I think, I don't know what new we're going to see in these games because we've already been tested in Major League Baseball, hockey, basketball, and some new innovations have come, camera shots, that kind of thing. Uh, I'll be curious to see if there's anything new that we've done, but I, th- I feel like we got that whole element of creativity got a, a big fast-forward pushed uh, in terms of uh, you know broadcasting North American sports. And, you know, and obviously I'll extend that to soccer as well, too. Yeah, we'll, we'll see. I, I think this is the opportunity, if you're ever going to do it, if you're ever an Olympic broadcaster, this is your chance to say, hey, it's so different. Everything is so different. Let's just go for it and see what happens. I mean, obviously, they've paid $17 trillion for the rights. You don't want to screw it up, but um, it's your chance. Hey, uh, before we go, because we only have a few minutes left here, I want to switch topic really quickly to the Ticats. Some 
Ticats apparently may be on the field in the next day or two because they've been in quarantine. So, you know, we're getting very close. Either way, we're getting very close to them being on the field. Really interesting story about the Ticats right now. Jeremiah Mazzoli was injured during the last, for most of the last season they played. Not last year, they didn't play, but the season before. Dane Evans was the starting quarterback for most of the year. Played pretty well. Now, Orlando Steinauer, head coach of the Ticats, says, no, I'm truly having an open competition for starting quarterback. Jeremiah Masoli, when he comes back, is not being given this job again. Do you, do you really believe that's the case? Do you really believe it's 50-50 and anybody can win? Or it's Masoli's job, but Evans could steal it if he's really, really fantastic? I like the latter there. I think Jeremiah Masoli is the starting quarterback of the Tiger Cats, and I think that's kind of the way I kind of see it in a sense. Um, the reality of the situation is that, you know, Dane Evans took a team to, to the Grey Cup and led them to the, the Ticats' best record ever, 15 victories. So that has to be, you know, that has, he's got, there's got to be consideration there. But I do believe that Masoli will end up being the, the starting quarterback. I think he, he would definitely be given the edge as the veteran guy, the guy that's making more money. Let's not, you know, let's uh-huh. not forget that. Uh-huh. that that's yep. got something to do with it as well, too. Um, but I believe that, you know what? This Everyone's talking about this being a quarterback controversy. Even though this is a shortened season in the CFL this year, name me a year where a team hasn't needed two quarterbacks to get to the promised land. This is a good problem for the Tiger Cats. It is. It is. And I think you're right. And, you know, like, let's hope neither one gets injured. We don't want any athletes to be injured, but nonetheless, it does happen. Do you think, though, that because he's got two guys that the pressure changes on, not the pressure, that the that things change for Steinauer's decision-making, that if one guy is not doing really well, that he's quicker to pull the trigger because he has the other guy. Do we end up with a, let's throw it way back to the 80s, a Condridge Holloway, Joe Barnes situation in Hamilton? I think that becomes, I think that's more of a fan problem because let's be honest, if, if, if we're at a game at Tim Horton's field and two on two of the first three series, Jeremiah Masoli throws interceptions, what's the fan response going to be? Timmy Chang, we want Timmy Chang. <laughs> we, want, we want the other guy. We want the other guy. Yeah, of guy. course, I, of course. I think, I think the head coach is smart enough, and he, and remember too, Jeremiah's a guy that can throw the odd interception here or there, but he's fantastic at at, at completing passes, throwing touchdown passes. He's you know he's a real deal. So I think the coach will not give in to what the fans want or fan response. Uh, there's a feel and a touch and, and a knowledge of the athletes, and and I will give the head coach the credit to, you know, to do the right thing at the appropriate time. He'll be able to know if, if, if you know, again, either one of these guys isn't ready for, you know, to, for starting duties in those, in those particular days. But I, I think definitely there will be fan responses at some point if one of these guys does not perform as the starter. Yeah, and because it's a short season, it's uh, it, it does make it a little more difficult for the head coach because if a guy's not going, do you leave him in to find it or... You know, do you make the change? I, I think the benefit is going to be, I think the Ticats are so good that they're going to win the East running away. And so, you know, they may have a little more leeway to figure it out with the quarterbacks. But boy, it, it is a good problem, but it, it can be a challenging conundrum if you are 
Orlando Steinauer trying to figure this one out. Because I this is the year, Bubba, as you know, as everyone knows, they got to make the Grey Cup this year. I mean, well, winning it would be deli- would be delightful, but you've got to make the Grey Cup this year. There, there's no doubt about it. And that's, that's a whole different internal pressure. Um, you know, I'll tell you, you know, the coaching staff will say it won't be a pressure because they, you know, they like to look at everything, you know, as most sports people do, game by game by game by game. But as fans, and I think there still would be some tension if there's ever a year to make the Grey Cup after, you know, after especially after what happened in the last time they played in 2019. Uh, this is the year for Hamilton. And this everyone's the talking year. about them being the favorites too. So, uh, yeah, will they feel that pressure? They'll say they won't, but I believe they will. 100% they will. And if they say no, well, that's just because that's what athletes have to say. They're not allowed to say, oh man, I really am feeling the pressure. That, that's not <laughs> that's not an athlete talk. Uh, Bubba O'Neill, always appreciated. Glad you're well again. I mean, it's been a little while now, but glad you're well and glad you're back to 100% or better. Better than 100%, I think you said, which is really outstanding. I mean, that's uh, if you can be better than 100%, you're doing well. Thanks for the time. Hey, anytime. It's, uh, it's an honor to be on your show. Thank you. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on 900 CHML.